I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. All right, welcome to Massacre Week around the NFL. I mean, is that what we're going to call it? I don't know, but wow. When Diana Rossini of ESPN tweeted out last week that she had heard from a head coach who said it's going to be a massacre around the league this week. Yes, that's coming to fruition. (laughs) It is Thursday morning as I sit here and record this just after 10 a.m. And the Chiefs have just announced that they're releasing both of their tackles who were injured and missed the Super Bowl, um, Mitchell Schwartz and Eric Fisher. But that's just, you know, two moves that have been made over the last several, you know, several days, really 24 hours, I'd say, after the salary cap was announced was when all this really started. There were some other moves that were made before that, but there's a lot more to be made. I mean, there's a lot more that's going to happen. We are still six days away from the new league year starting, and the Bills, they've made some moves as well. Sal Capaccio here, Sal Sports and Stuff podcast. Haven't talked to you at all this week. I appreciate you downloading, subscribing, Spotify, Apple iTunes, all the places that you get your podcasts from. Of course, radio.com. WGR550.com on the website on online. So John Brown and Quentin Jefferson released for the Bills on Wednesday. I, I've been asked many times, you know, am I surprised by either of them? No, not surprised by either. I figured Jefferson was going to be released. To me, it was, well, him and or Vernon Butler. I figured at least one of them, if not both of them, and it looks like Vernon Butler, you know, he did take a uh, a restructure of his contract, a pay cut, actually. Uh, that's been confirmed to me. So, you know, they chose to keep Jeff, I'm sorry, keep Butler on a reduced pay, but get rid of Jefferson. But either way, I, I think Butler's spot isn't even secure on this roster come the new le- new year. When, I mean, not the new league year, but, you know, next season. And part of that reason, a big part is because of Star Latulale coming back. You know, Star comes back onto this roster He's got a contract you can't get out of. And, you know, they missed him last year. He's going to be a part of this team. You can't pay the defensive tackles that they're paying all the money that they they were scheduled to pay. They had to do something. Plus the pandemic, the revenue shortfall, the salary cap being introduced and uh, set at $182.5 million. That is $15 million less, essentially, than it was a year ago at 198 You think about it. A year ago, before the pandemic hit, teams were operating under the assumption that in 2021, the salary cap would be probably around $208 million. It usually goes up around $10 million a year. And then suddenly, it's only $182. I mean, that's a, that is $25, $26 million less available per team than they had expected a year ago right now. Now, they've, they've had a year to plan for this. But this is what happens when you see the, 
the salary cap go down, you have free agents out there, people you want to sign, your own free agents, things like that. You have to make moves. You see guys that have these huge salary cap numbers and say, we got to move on from this person. So the Bills, they're not immune to it. They had to make some moves. They started with giving a restructure slash pay cut to Mitch Morse, their center, earlier the week. Uh, there was some different reporting on that, I can tell you for sure. Um, you know, Mitch Morse was not given an ultimatum that if you don't do this, you're going to not be on the team. But that doesn't mean the team didn't go to him and say, hey, we'd love you to do this. And, you know, we can't guarantee anything come the season. I'm not sure if that happened, but he wasn't given a straight up ultimatum. Uh, he decided to, uh, among with the team, a mutual agreement. They negotiated it, his agent, whatever. He would lower his base salary by a couple million dollars, giving the bill some cap relief. But more money of his existing base salary will be guaranteed. Plus, he still has a chance to earn back about half of that lower base salary. So in exchange for lowering his base salary, he got more guarantees. So he's going to be on the roster, and we'll see where that goes. That's what happened with Mitch Morse. Then you have Vernon Butler again, who did the same thing, essentially. I don't know exactly where, you know, what they gave him in guarantees. If it's just a straight pay cut, no guarantees, and maybe he had an ultimatum or not. I'm not really sure. I haven't checked in on that, but we know that he lowered his base salary to give cap relief. But then the two big moves were John Brown and Quentin Jefferson. And John Brown, to me, was always a guy who was definitely a candidate to be released, but I figured maybe they would still try to keep him. He's been a really good player for the Bills. Really nice player for two years. But he couldn't stay healthy last year. Only nine games played. Different injuries. Nagging injuries. And injuries that kept popping up even after he seemed like he was recovering from injuries. And I think the Bills had to totally take that into consideration because he was scheduled to make like $9 million basically on the salary cap. And by releasing him, they saved close to $8 million of that. They're going to take on a one and a half, $1.6 million dead cap hit. But you know, that's a lot of money to save. And if you didn't do that, you're basically saying we're going to bank on him staying healthy. And I think that's what it probably came down to for the bills money. Plus, can we bank on that? Is he going to stay healthy all season? If we're going to pay him, you know, $9 million against the cap for 17 games, which is going to be 17 games next year. Are we only getting 10? Are we only getting 11? They only got nine last year. I think that was too risky for the bills. So they had to move on from him. They didn't restructure. I thought maybe that could happen. It's just a straight release. They saved that money. Now on top of that with Quentin Jefferson, who to me was a no brainer. I mean, Quentin Jefferson by releasing him, it's six and a half million dollars. There is a little bit of uh, confusion on, if there is some dead money on him or not, there might be one and a half million that was a signing bonus spread out, but that one and a half might also have been just a roster bonus that wasn't paid. So it's not counted either way. They're still saving the six and a half, but there might be a little bit of dead money there. that They have to account for that. But to me, that was a no brainer that, like I said, either him and or Butler would be gone. I, I thought maybe both of them. Now what happens on the depth chart? Well, let's start with Jefferson. That's the easy one. I just told you Star Latula is coming back. We still have Butler on the roster, obviously now, and then you still have Harrison Phillips, Justin Zimmer, who I thought played well last year. Ed Oliver, of course, is the other starting defensive tackle. I think they're kind of set at that position. I wouldn't be surprised if, you know, I mean, when you go to training camp, they might have another body or two. These are the guys fighting for spots and who makes the team. I don't know. Uh, are you looking at Phillips against Butler and Zimmer? Probably, probably only two spots out of Phillips, Butler and Zimmer. Brandon Bryant's still on the roster. You know, we'll see where that goes. There's a lot of time to to figure that out. I think wide receiver is more interesting though, because what happens at wide receiver? Are you going to chase another receiver after John Brown was released? 
to give the money that you would have given to John Brown because you need to be more dynamic and have a guy that's going to stay healthy. I'm not sure if that's the smart play because Gabriel Davis looks like he could very well step into that number two role. Gabriel Davis isn't John Brown as far as top end speed, but he's younger. He's on a rookie contract. He had a very good rookie season and he looks the part of what could be a number two wide receiver. Now, does he look the part because he was playing number three? And now you go into next season and go, oh, to put more on his plate, is he going to be the same player? That's what the Bills have to decide. The thing about John Brown that really made him really fit in this in this team, this offense, first of all, let me just say, John Brown is exactly what the Bills want in a football player on and off the field. He's the consummate professional, very good hands. I know he had a couple uncharacteristic drops last year. I know that. Generally, very good hands, really good route runner. He can win at all levels, really. Top-end speed. And a guy that just shows up, does his job every day. So I think from that standpoint, that's tough to move on from him. But what he really did on the field was he kind of pushed everyone down the depth chart a bit, which really helped out the offense. Gabriel Davis is now your number three with John Brown on the team. You know, Cole in the slot, Cole Beasley. When I say Gabriel Davis number three, obviously Cole Beasley's in the top three, but he's a slot receiver and he's kind of fits in that one box. Then Isaiah McKenzie was like your number four along with guys that they had in and out, like Jake Kumaro, Duke Williams got a little run last year for a game. You know, Isaiah McKenzie is going to be a free agent. But now what do you do at that other spot? If they're going to spend that money on a receiver, I don't know. It seems like maybe they could have just tried to keep John Brown. But I understand if the health concern is there, who do you go out and get? They do need some speed now. And you do have Isaiah McKenzie, who is a pending free agent. I think this comes down to opposite Stefan Diggs. You're going to have, to me, Gabriel Davis goes into your number two role, like I said. And then you have Cole in the slot. And to me, it's Jake Kumaro, Duke Williams, and Isaiah Hodgins fighting for that number three role, essentially. Now, that doesn't mean another guy can't come, like I said. Kumaro, to me, is a guy they really like and probably want to put on the field next year. And I think, you know, being on the team for pretty much all of last year, he had that bit of time for a month where he was off the team because the Saints claimed him when the Bills, you know, brought John Brown back and needed the roster spot. But he's back on the team. He's under contract. But Isaiah McKenzie, to me, I'd love the Bills to keep him. He's an unrestricted free agent. What's his market look like? I don't know. Not only do I want the Bills to keep Isaiah McKenzie, I want him to have an expanded role in this offense. I think he did a really nice job when he was called upon, and they need a guy like that. Andre Roberts, also a free agent, by the way, wide receiver. We know what his value is. That's kick and punt returns. And if I have to choose, as much as you all know how much I love Andre Roberts and what he does, I'd still choose Isaiah McKenzie because you can still use him more on offense. And, of course, you're not getting so much of a drop-off in the return game, right? I mean, Isaiah can return punts and kicks. Andre Roberts is just really special at what he does. And if they can keep both, that'd be great. I just don't know if there's a way they can do that this year, given, like I said, the revenue shortfalls, you know, and what's going on with that. So, you know, that was the news yesterday on Wednesday for the Bills. John Brown and Quentin Jefferson both released on the heels of Mitch Morse and Vernon Butler, of course, also, you know, taking reductions in pay. So where does that leave them with cap space? Well, if you look at spot track over the cap, you do your own calculations, knowing where they were. I have the bills right around 18 million in space right now. I, I give or take, it could be a little bit less. It could be a little bit more. It's right around 18 million. So that's not a ton of space, but it's still a lot better than where they were. And it now puts them kind of in the top third of the league, maybe right around there. Whereas they were right around the midpoint of the league. So compared to the rest of the league, they're doing okay, but it's still not a lot of money. What else can be done? Is Mario Addison a possibility? Yeah, he is, but I don't know if the Bills want to go and have $4 million of dead cap space. You know, that's what you'd have if you 
release Mario Addison. Did I say Williams? Mario Williams? I might have a minute ago. Mario Addison. If they release Mario Addison, they'd have like $4 million dead cap space. Not really the way Brandon Bean likes to operate. Plus, Mario Addison had five sacks last year, which led the Bills. And who do they have at edge rusher right now? I think what I see with Mario Addison is this. If the Bills sign an edge rusher and give him a big contract, which they might be going big game hunting for that, we don't know. They tried to get J.J. Watt, as we know. If they can do that, now you make Addison more expendable. But again, that $4 million is tough to eat. You could spread it out $2 million each year by making him a post-June 1 cut, but then you don't even have that money available until June 1st. So it's a tricky situation right there. So I wouldn't doubt if that's the case. I also wouldn't doubt if there's some restructures coming and pay cuts coming for other guys. And we'll see how all of that plays out. Lee Smith, we don't know what his situation is. He alluded to possibly retiring when he was on a radio show slash podcast in Nashville, near his hometown in Nashville, um, a couple of months ago, or maybe a month ago, like whenever it was, but sounded so much like he was going to retire. That would clear over $2 million if he did. But if not, they can just release him and clear that money. So that could very well be what's going on as well. Where does that leave the Bills with their own free agents? We just talked about a guy like, you know, Isaiah McKenzie. These are the guys that, you know, you'd like to keep, but you don't, you're not going to break the bank for them. Isaiah McKenzie, right? I think a, a guy that I look at that I really like for the Bills to bring back, and I think it should be easy to bring back, is a guy like Dean Marlowe, right? These, these are players that you should be able to afford. The question is, you know, how much money really is there and what else are you trying to do? And of course, the big ones are Matt Milano, John Feliciano, and Daryl Williams. So Matt Milano's case is interesting. You know, I really figured Matt Milano would be commanding $12, $13 million a year from someone. I thought another team would do that. But now I see what Levante David of Tampa signed for to go back to Tampa for two years. $25 million for two years. $12.5 million a year. Now, granted, he might have taken a little less to stay with Tampa, win a championship. But it's still where the market is now. And he's generally considered the number one linebacker on the market. So at this point, I'd be surprised if Matt Milano got over that, got over $12.5 million, especially considering all the free agents that it look like are going to be out there and teams can say, hey, we're not paying you that. We can go to the next guy. I think the, the value of all these guys, the market for all these guys is going to be lower. It's a bad year to be a free agent because of the pandemic, because of the revenue shortfalls, the salary cap and where it is. So I think that gives the Bills a really good opportunity to possibly bring back Matt Milano. However, that said, it only takes one team. It takes one team to say, we're still giving you 12. We're still giving you 13. I don't see it right now for Matt Milano. Maybe 10? At 10 million, do you like Matt Milano? Three years, 30 million. Would you like that? I think most Bills fans would take that. Let's do it. And then you figure out Tremaine Edmonds later. I'll get to him in a minute because there's some news with him and Josh Allen, the fifth-year option as well. But I do think Matt Milano is still very much in play for the Bills, but I think he's going to gauge his market, his value, and it only takes one team, like I said, to basically say, hey, we're going to give you this. And he says, all right, that's you know way more than the Bills are offering. And I don't think the Bills are going to get in a bidding war for Matt Milano or anybody for that matter. John Feliciano. If you would have asked me, and plenty of people did, <laughs> two months ago or a month ago, hey, what do you think about John Feliciano coming back to the Bills? I'd say, oh, yeah, that I, I still, I definitely see that happening. I wouldn't even doubt if they moved on from Mitch Morse and put John Feliciano at center. Well, we know they're not moving on from Morse now. What we don't know is, does Feliciano want to play guard or want to play center? He may want to play center. His agent may tell teams he's a center, pay him like a center because they feel there's more money there. I'm not sure. The guard market looks like it's going to be a little more saturated. There might be more money at center, but his, his value is in his versatility. He can do both. And that's why the bills should want him back. And I think do want him back at the end of the day. I think John Feliciano knows how valuable he is to the bills, how much they like him. And this is his best spot. 
but he may want to max out and whatever that number is max out. I don't know if the bills will want to go there. You know, they still have to figure out what to do with Cody Ford, uh, Jordan Devy. They re-signed him. He's a, also a guy that he's an interior guy. He can do multiple things. They re-signed him right when free agency basically started at the end of the season. Cause he was on the, he was on the end of the year active roster. So they couldn't sign him to a futures contract. So they signed him to a regular contract, but Cody Ford to me is a really big X factor here. What do you do with Cody Ford? Is he a guard? Ike Butker's a restricted free agent. I don't see them tendering him. Maybe they might, they might tender him at the minimum at like 2.1 million, but that would mean that they probably have plans for him to play. I think they probably let him go become an unrestricted free agent and then bring him back in a lesser deal. We'll see. But I think Feliciano, because Morse is back, Feliciano now knows, Hey, he's the guard. Does he want to do that? What does he want to get paid? I'm less convinced now that John Feliciano comes back to Buffalo than I was a couple of weeks ago, a month ago, but I still think there's a chance. Daryl Williams, I'm more in the camp that he probably will get paid more elsewhere. And part of the reason I think that is, again, I think the Bills look at their internal options. They really like Ryan Bates. I would not be surprised if Ryan Bates was the starting right tackle of the Buffalo Bills opening day 2021. He was the swing tackle last year. He was the backup left tackle to Deion Dawkins, mostly. They did have Ty and Secchi at right tackle who played, but, you know, Bates could play both. Bates can play center as well, which, again, brings you up to the John Feliciano point, right? So that's what the Bills love, the versatility. They're not going to be pigeonholed into having a guy simply because they need a position. They have guys that they can play multiple positions. And Ryan Bates is going to cost like less than a million dollars next year. What's Daryl Williams going to cost? The year he had, after being an all-pro a few years ago, national TV, he shuts down TJ Watt of the Steelers. They had him for $2 million last year. He's going to get more than that. Are the Bills willing to go? How much higher are they willing to go for him? And on top of that, I think the Bills probably feel, and, and at this point, maybe rightfully so, hey, we can find another guy like that. You know, Mitch, Mitch, uh, I'm sorry, Mitchell Schwartz, yeah, just released, right? There's some talk maybe he's going to retire. I don't know. Eric Fisher released. There's other tackles on the market. I'm not saying those specific guys, but the Bills may feel we can get a guy in here for a year like we did with Daryl Williams and have the same kind of impact. We found him, and I know they had a history with him. We can do that with another guy. So Tremaine Edmonds, a lot of times, becomes part of the conversation with Matt Milano and how much the Bills want to pay Milano. I don't think they have to choose between the two right now. To me, that's a bit of a fallacy. Oh, well, if they're going to pay Milano, that means they're not going to pay Edmonds. Well, maybe eventually that's true, but I don't think the Bills at all are sitting there saying, hmm, we shouldn't pay Matt Milano right now because we want to pay Tremaine Edmonds in a couple of years. You can't see the future. The Bills don't know what's going to happen with Tremaine Edmonds. What if they don't pay Matt Milano because they plan on paying Tremaine Edmonds and then he gets injured? You can't do that. You can't operate like that. Matt Milano's his own entity right now. You take a look at what Matt Milano would cost according to your value and what you're playing your position in 2021. That includes Tremaine Edmonds, AJ Klein, everybody else there. And if it works out, you say, okay, we take Matt Milano back. Now you wait. You, you, who knows? They pick up the fifth-year option on, on Edmonds. I'll get to that in a second. And then you, just, you decide later, do you want to stick with these guys? Do you want to go forward with Edmonds at his price? Now what it might impact, it might impact picking up that fifth-year option for Tremaine Edmonds because you have to do it by May 3rd, and it's fully guaranteed once you do that. What I'm saying is if the Bills re-sign Matt Milano, they may say, we're not going to pick up the fifth-year option on Tremaine Edmonds right now, but that doesn't mean we won't eventually pay him. We want, we want to give ourselves options and breathing room to see where this goes and not have to guarantee that 2022 salary. That 2022 salary, by the way, is going to be $12.7 million. 
based upon the fact that Tremaine Edmonds has been elected to, selected to, one Pro Bowl on the original ballot. He's gone to two. One was as an injury replacement. For some reason, I still think it's stupid. The NFL and NFLPA agreed in the last CBA, signed a year ago, that Pro Bowls would actually factor into how much the fifth-year option counts for players. In their three years, because you have to play three years, then you have to decide if the fifth-year option is picked up before the fourth year. So over those three years... If a guy didn't make a Pro Bowl, if he made one, if he made two, if he made three, it just keeps going up and escalating how much that fifth-year option is. So Tremaine Edmonds, his fifth-year option would cost the Bills $12.7 million because he made one Pro Bowl. Now you have to decide, do you want to do that, exercise it by May 3rd for 2022? Remember, he still has his rookie contract in his fourth year to play out. Do you do that for year number five? Guarantee it. And then you have to start figuring out what to do with Milano. And again, that could depend on where you are with Milano anyway. If Milano's not on the team and you figure, hey, I'm not losing two linebackers over a couple-year period here, I'm I'm exercising that fifth-year option. You could, by the way, exercise the fifth-year option, then sign him to a longer-term deal, lowering the number or whatever in the offseason. That's what the Bills did with Tredavious White. That's also what I think the Bills could very well do with Josh Allen. So his fifth-year option is also due on May 3rd. There's no doubt the Bills will pick up Josh Allen's fifth-year option if they do not sign him to a contract extension before that. His fifth-year option is going to cost around $23 million, again, for the same reason he made one Pro Bowl. So, and and good, that's a no-brainer. You're doing that. The question is, does Josh Allen get an extension before you have to do that, or do you wait on a Josh Allen extension? Then the question comes in, how long do you wait on a Josh Allen extension? He's going to get extended. He's going to get a new deal. So I wrote about this at WGR550.com. Josh Allen, his extension, and Dak Prescott, and how much it plays into it, basically. And and here's kind of the way that I look at this whole thing, which is I think Dak Prescott's deal really gives a nice landing spot and runway for the Bills to know exactly what they need to do with Josh Allen. So Patrick Mahomes signed a really mega deal, like 10 years, basically. It doesn't kick in until after year three or whatever, but it's 10 years. $45 million annual average value. That's the top in the league. Dak Prescott comes in at $40 million annual average value. Right now, if I'm Josh Allen's agent, I'm saying, okay, that's my landing spot. And rightfully so. Why not? He's next up. He's more accomplished than Dak in his three years. He's been to an AFC championship game, was an MVP contender last year, Josh Allen. So for me, what I think the Bills are looking at right here is probably around 41, 42, maybe even $43 million on an extension per year. By the way, great job by Michael Gennetti and the people over at SpotTrack. Back in December, they pegged Josh Allen's extension at $41.2 million. I think that's right about what it's going to be. That was before Dak signed. Now, if you think that's a lot of money, well, first of all, you're right, it is a lot of money. If you think that's too much, just consider it this way. Baker Mayfield, less of Baker, but Lamar Jackson's fifth-year option and his extension's coming up this offseason as well. If Josh signs before Lamar, Lamar might might get more. Who knows? He won the MVP two years ago. If Lamar signs before Josh, top stack Prescott, now you're looking at even more maybe for Josh Allen. Then next year, you have Kyler Murray, who's going to be in that situation. Then the following year, you have Joe Burrow, Tua, Justin Herbert, 
look, the longer you wait on this, the more this is going to go up. There's just no doubt about it. That's the way it works. So we can him and haul all we want about, oh my gosh, come on, 41, $42 million. Well, guess what? Next year, probably 43, 44. The following year, now you're looking at guys probably topping Patrick Mahomes, to be quite honest, because that's the way it works. It's just who's next in line. Allen is next in line. And if they get it done now, they'll lock in their price for longer term. What the Bills did last year with Tredavious White, to me, is a great way that maybe they can do this. What they did with Tredavious White last year is this. They picked up Tredavious White's fifth-year option in May of last year for 2021. Exact same situation Josh is in this year. Played three years, picked up the fifth-year option before year four. He's set now for two more years. Still has one year left in his rookie deal. Then in September, they basically, they signed him to a contract extension and a lot of times when you do that, it's like, okay, we're ripping up that fifth-year option. It doesn't matter. It doesn't mean anything. We're just going with an extension. They didn't do that. They kept year four last year for Tredavious White and year five, the fifth-year option, and then the extension kicks in for four more years. So when he signed, it's actually a six-year deal. He still has five years left. 21, 22, 23, 24, 25. He's still locked up. What they did was, though, he didn't play on exactly the same numbers for year four and year five from his rookie deal and the fifth year extension or option. What they did was they gave him from the bonus money, from the extension they put into years four and year five. So he got a bump in pay because of the bonus and the bonus gets spread out over all those years, but he maintained his salary pretty much. I think almost exactly, if not exactly. I think that's what the bills should do with Josh Allen, what they could do. Here's what they should do and can do with Josh Allen. Now, you know where it should fall. You have Dak Prescott. 40 mil. You have Patrick Mahomes, 45. You're going to fall somewhere in there. Let's say it's 42 million a year. You pick up the fifth year option before May 3rd. And then sometime before this season, you say, okay, time to do an extension. We're going to give you $42 million a year, but we want you to play your rookie deal. He's only scheduled to make like 900,000 in base salary this year, by the way, Josh Allen. But we're going to give you, we're going to give you like, how much is his bonus? It's way more than what you know, Tredavious White got way more guarantees than what White got. You know, they give him a signing bonus and guarantees of, so let's say if it's $42 million uh, on a four-year extension, or let's say five-year extension, he's a quarterback, five-year extension, $40 million, five times 40, what what are we talking? Uh, $200 million right there, right? So, wow. Um, you say, we're going to give you $90 million as a bonus, guarantees, whatever. I mean, Dak got 95. That's a lot. We're going to spread that out, though over the not five years, but what really amounts to seven years because he still would have his fourth year rookie contract, fifth year option, and then a five-year extension. Now you can spread all that money out. Let's say it's $70 million to make it simple. You can give him $10 million and a bonus. It would count in a cap. You'd give him $70 million up front. $10 million counts against the salary cap this year. $10 $10 million next year, $10 million then the following year, it would count basically every year $10 million, and then his actual salary would kick in after two more years. I hope all that made sense. What I'm saying is pick up the fifth-year option, sign him to an extension, have that extension kick in down the line, but give him enough bonus money to make up for the pay that he wouldn't be getting the next couple of years. I think they can do that with Josh Allen. I think that'd be a great way to look at it and a great way to do it. And they already have that model on the books. They did it with Tredavious White last year. I don't think this is over, by the way, in the league. We're going to see more bloodletting today, if you will, 
on Thursday and on Friday and into the weekend and before and Monday, the legal tampering period opens up, if you will, if you want to call it that. Right. I mean, come on. Legal tampering period since since football has been around, since free agency has been around. I think there's there's been a lot of wink, wink, legal tampering, illegal tampering going on anyway, even though it's no, not outright or maybe it is. I don't know. But I think that teams know exactly who they want to target. Agents know what teams want to target them, whether that's exact conversations between the two or, you know, a roundabout way, if you will, through the back door. We'll see what happens. I think more will be happening Thursday, Friday over the weekend. So speaking of Thursday, I've been watching some college basketball because I'm a big college basketball fan. Of course, I'm a huge Syracuse fan. I went to Syracuse, but I grew up a fan too. Uh, so it's kind of double like in my blood. And it's just nice watching tournaments again. It's nice watching last year right at this time. In fact, the day I'm recording this, March 11th, that was the last day last year of actual like college basketball games. The next day was when everything was canceled. And right around that time, I think one tournament might have went on. But I remember last year, it was March 11th. I looked it up. Syracuse crushes North Carolina. I'm like, all right, the next day they're scheduled to play Louisville. The game gets canceled on March 12th. And then everything starts to get canceled. Um, Big East tournament gets canceled. I remember when I was sitting here and all that stuff was happening. But here we are a year later and we're going the opposite direction. Thankfully, teams are playing. Some fans are in the stands at some of these arenas. It's cool. I just felt really good watching it. I felt a little more normal again, watching college basketball the last couple of days and nights. Um, I'm doing this this morning before Syracuse plays Virginia, so hopefully they win. But uh, you'll know my mood will uh, not. Uh, my mood will change a little bit if they lose, obviously. But I'm not expecting to beat Virginia. I guess if it was a team I expected to beat and they lost, like yesterday to NC State, I'd be mad. But now that they're right squarely on the bubble, if they beat Virginia, they're most likely in without a doubt. If they lose, I'm sweating out Sunday with a lot of other people with a lot of other teams. Speaking of watching things. So I talk a lot about, I have talked a lot about on previous podcasts, some shows I've been watching and finished up and the short series I like and things like that. I finally finished up um, Escape at Danamora. Oh, amazing. Go watch it. It's on Showtime. If you have like Prime Video or another way that you can get to Showtime, do it. It's about the Clinton Correctional Facility Escape. It's amazing. And has a Buffalo tie, the guy that escaped, Richard Matt. He was in prison because of a murder committed in Tonawanda or North Tonawanda and what he did to the guy that he, he dismembered the guy that he killed and threw him into the Niagara river essentially. So, but that's why he was in prison. They go through that. in one of the episodes, they go through all the, it's the, it's the uh, flashback episode. They call it on why these guys are in prison. And then they talk about, you know, and show the life of the woman that helped them escape essentially. And then the final episode, though, what I want to bring up is the final episode is episode number seven. It's actually like an hour and 20 minutes long, and it's basically a movie, a short movie, because it's all about after they escape. They escape in episode five. Episode six flashes back to what their lives were like, how they got there. And then episode seven is all about the escape, being on the run, being chased. And it's basically like a movie. So go check it out. It was really good. I finally finished WandaVision, not like super unbelievably into it like a lot of you. It's good. I like it. I'm still a little confused a lot of times what's going on, but you know, just because it's just a good show, but it's okay. You know, I'm not, oh my God, this is amazing. I like the storyline for what I know of it, but there's some back stuff that I'm still unsure of. 
but I, I figured a lot, a lot about it. I figured out a lot about it. Sorry. I figured out a lot about it. That was tough to say. And, but then the last episode, the, the finale, the season finale still kind of made me a little more confused, if you will, but that's okay. It, it was good. I didn't mind it at all. We did start, my wife and I, so here's one. My wife and I started a new show, but it's an old show. One that many of you have seen. Blacklist. I've always been interested. We were huge 24 fans. It reminds me a lot of 24. Um, that, Yeah, I would say not as violent, but it is, I guess. Even though, you know, 24 was kind of new with that. Like, wow, they're really like torturing this guy. But some of the stuff that's happened already in the first few episodes and Blacklist, but I like it. The, the criminal mind, the chase, all that kind of stuff. It's good. I had no idea. There were 22 episodes in season one. I just realized that. But we'll do it. We're watching it. I like it now. I'm into it. It's good. James Spader is really good in his role. But it's episode, It's I'm sorry, it's season one. It was just renewed for a ninth season. So we got a long way to go. So if you're listening to this, you want to tweet me at Sal Sports and tell me, am I going to like the eight seasons that I'm into now that I'm going to be watching? I'm not sure, but I'm into it. Here we go. Let's do it. And then the last one is, Started watching. I'm halfway through. It's three episodes. You know me. I like the short series, the limited series, Murder Among the Mormons. Interesting. You know why I like shows like this too? I'm being educated. I have learned more in the first, what, hour and a half of the first two episodes because they're like an hour each. I've learned more about the Mormon, Mormon religion than I've ever known before. And it's pretty fascinating. And this story and the bombing and what it's about is all pretty fascinating and something I didn't remember that happened. And I was it's usually right around the time period where I remember a lot of things like that as a news junkie and a kid even growing up and into that stuff. That would have been when I was, what, 12 years old? So yeah, I, I don't totally remember it. I don't even remember it at all. Maybe vaguely, I don't know. But I don't, I don't remember like news stories about it, you know, the bombings that happened in Salt Lake City. One thing very interesting though, if you're from Buffalo, there's an interesting cameo in there. And that is from Keith Radford of Channel 7. Keith Radford was in Salt Lake City in the 80s, and they show him on the screen doing like a news report. And I don't even think he realized he was in it. When I went to his Twitter feed, he's like, yep, that's me. I haven't seen it yet, but I guess I'm in it, which is really cool. Uh, Speaking of Cameo, I guess I'll give a plug. If you've ever heard of the website Cameo, it's a place where you can go and you can get videos and people to say happy birthday or congratulations or talk smack to your friends or whatever, like stars, celebrities, athletes, entertainers, whatever. I'm on Cameo. I've been on Cameo for about a year now. I've done like 180 Cameos for people. It's pretty crazy. I charge $25. It's not a lot. Uh, some of that goes to the uh, the actual company. During the month of October, I give that money towards uh, my real men wear pink campaign with the American cancer society, but it's really cool because people say, Hey, my friend lives out of town. My family, uh, my family, my dad, my mom, they move They're somewhere else. They're big bills fans. Um, someone's going through a tough time. Can you say hello? Can you give them a uplifting message? Can you talk smack to my fantasy football friends? Whatever it is, I'm there for you. Just keep it clean. That's all I ask. Go to cameo. You can go on an app or on a website. If you go through the app, I think the company takes more. So try and do it through the website if you can, but either way, just search me, Sal Capaccio, Sal Sports. Search Buffalo Bills. I should come up. If you want me to do a cameo for somebody, I'd be honored. It's pretty cool. I've gotten a lot of great feedback. Thank you so much from the people who I've done them for who said, awesome job. Thank you. You know, I've never really, I guess, realized the impact that things like that can have on people. Wishing them a happy birthday, knowing someone's out there, that they're paying attention, 
wishing them good luck and congratulations on a graduation or just, hey man, I know you're feeling down. Guess what? 2021 is going to be awesome. Something like that. So check it out if you can on Cameo. All right, till the next time. Thanks for listening to South Sports and Stuff. Throw me a nice like, a review, all that kind of stuff. Spotify, Apple, iTunes. Subscribe to the program, to the show, to the podcast. I will be hosting WGR uh, Sports Radio 550, the morning show with Jeremy White on Friday. So I'll be hosting Friday morning. Howard, taking another day off. That guy has more vacation than anybody I've ever met. Um, But we'll see what happens going forward because... Uh, As you all know, Jeremy's also going to be expecting twins sometime soon. So uh, you'll probably hear more of me on the morning show when that happens as well. But I definitely will will be on Friday morning hosting with Jeremy from 6 to 10 on WGR. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones so we'll never lose touch with civilization and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic and conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.